Solomon chapter 2, verse 15. <clears throat> Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. Now for those of you that weren't with us last night, I shared a little story how last Sunday that I dealt with this. I pulled out of the parking lot here and I told Carol, wasn't that a tremendous way to end this little fox series? But the Lord had some more parts that I didn't know about. But I'm just grateful that I'm sensitive enough to be able to find his parts. 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And is departed unto Thessalonica, Christians to Galatia, Titus 
unto Dalmatia. I want to speak to you again today on the little fox of an unsurrendered life. The little fox of an unsurrendered life. And may like to be remembered as we pray today. God bless your hearts. Heavenly Father, we first of all want to say thank you. I'm so grateful, Lord, that I want to live for you. I realize there's billions of people on the face of this earth today. They're satisfied going out, spending the weekend, having a big time, getting drunk, reveling around, carousing. They spend all their money getting high on this and that and the other. And then Monday rolls around and they don't know what they're going to do to be able to pay their bills. It's the same thing over and over again. They party from one party to another to another. And yet none of it satisfies the soul. We're so grateful today for that pool of eternal life. Father, we ask your help today in this service. May the presence of God just come in a supernatural way. Anoint us with your being, Father. Speak to every heart that is open. Make each of us fertile ground. that We can receive the seed of the word and bring forth the crop of God. Minister to us according to your goodness and mercy. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. <clears throat> the only way to be able to ever experience the realities of God is by a complete surrendered life. I wish I could stand here today and tell you that once we give our hearts to God, that we will forever be totally and completely surrendered. But that's not the truth of it. Many, as we looked at last night, will accept the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They don't want to be lost. They don't want to go to hell. But they never really come to the spot to where the old husband has been annihilated. Oh, they're saved in that sense, but yet not truly born again. And yet they never come to the joy and the peace that comes with a surrender of a full surrendered life. Will a person, after receiving the Holy Ghost, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit in them, does that bring them to that spot, to where once and for all that they have a surrendered life? No, it doesn't. It actually surrenders the old husband and he's annihilated and they're born again. But I think if you don't realize it already, you're going to. Every day of our life, the word that we hear, the revelatory power that's in the word, it helps us to see that we need to surrender more and more and more. So it's actually an ongoing walk with God. Surrender is. It's not something that you come to just one time in your life and then you stop. Truly the new birth empowers us to where that we're never the same again. A, a complete surrender is the only thing that can really bring God's word from being logos to rhema. A complete surrender is the only thing that can make the Bible stories from historical perspective into 
an applicable form which can be very, very fitting for us in the day we live right now. It can take the stories that Brother Branham told to us in the 40s, 50s, 60s. It can take quotes, sermon titles, all of those things and bring them from being in the past of historical to make them a living reality for you today. And the only thing that can bring all of that sequence of events to making it real is one simple but one hard and trying difficult thing. It's very simple. It's one thing that brings the realities of God, and that is surrender. It's not even just understanding. It's not just wisdom. I've seen people that had great understanding and great wisdom about a lot of things, but they couldn't surrender. Now, I realize many of you were born in the message, especially the younger generation. Some of you were, as myself, you were in Pentecost, and you were able to see a lot of things. A lot of them were good, a lot of them was bad. But we were able to see, and one thing that always made me puzzle in my mind, and bring me to a state of wonderment was how that you could see people that were so surrendered to God in one avenue of their lives that they could preach, they could prophesy and speak in tongues, or they could be able to call people out and tell them various things that was exactly the truth. And yet when you find out about their lives, the way they live, that they was a married man and had a girlfriend over here and a girlfriend over there and fathered all kinds of children all over the country and lived lives that was so contrary to the word. And you think in your mind, how in the world could this be? And still to me, the mystery of that is unfolding, even as I've studied this in the last couple of weeks, that God will use the part that we give to him. And the part that we surrender is the part that God will take. So a person could receive a gift from God, a deposit from God to be able to preach, speak in tongues, prophesy, whatever. And they would be able to submit that to God in the realm of the supernatural. The supernatural anoint that. And the outcome of that be really supernatural. And God would do some things to them. They could dream, dream, see visions, prophesy, true prophecy. Balaam, of course, was a great example of that. But yet in their own heart, that has nothing to do with that they are really a surrendered vessel. So to me, when I first come to the message, and one of the first messages that I started listening to was anointing ones at the end time. And whenever I started listening to that, it unraveled years and years of questions that I had in my mind of men that could call people out and tell them certain things. And my, you know that their life was just not right with God. But yet, being Pentecostals, they would take that as confirmation that everything about their ministry was true and godly and holy. A friend of mine several years ago told me that he worked with a man which was a renowned preacher in Pentecost. And the man, as he introduced him onto the platform, and he come up, and the man comes up, he staggers, not under the influence of the Holy Ghost, but he staggers because he's been drinking before entering the pulpit. This man comes up and he preaches. He's drunk basically the entire time that he's preaching. And then he comes down to the showdown to be able to prove that he is a servant of God. 
They bring a child up because a man had great miracles in his ministry. They bring a child up that's got a leg that's two, two and a half inches shorter than the other. They set the child out on a chair. It's not trickster now, but they set the child out on a chair and the leg is sitting out and the foot. So the man comes to his great demise. You know, now he's at this devastating place. Now he's going to prove if he's a servant of God. So he calls on the name of the Lord. My friend stood there as he watched. Most of the time he said he would close his eyes out of respect. But he stood there and he thought, I'm going to watch this because there's no way God is going to answer this prayer. But in amazement, Brother Dallas, he stands there and he watches that little child's leg as it grows out miraculously. And that leg comes out to the exact length of the other. That child jumps up, starts walking across the platform without any type of aid or crutch or anything like that. Of course, the parents go ecstatic. Other people in the service go ecstatic. And this friend of mine stands there with more confusion than he had before. Now, you know, used to, I, that would so puzzle me, and I, I would just so wonder how in the world could it be, uh, from the looks of some of you, all looks like you all have that puzzled look on your face today. But you see, God will take that which we surrender to Him. And God was not proving that this man was a servant of God at all. But he, by his mercy, was ministering to this child. And all God had was a piece of junk. And all God had was a piece of trash. And God loved that child so much, he wanted that child to have mercy. So God took that piece of garbage and ministered mercy to that child. Oh, you say, God wouldn't do that. You, you argue that with Elijah whenever he brought an old filthy mouth crow and brought sandwiches. Would any of you want to eat a sandwich out of a filthy mouth of a crow? But God used that, did he not? Would any of you want to hear prophecy out of the mouth of a donkey? But God used it. That's right. So the mystery of surrender, I'm afraid that it's much greater than what we've looked at. Oh, I realize it's not as deep as the seven thunders. We've spent much more time studying the ministry of the Son of Man. We've spent much more time trying to make a doctrine out of the mystery of the Holy Ghost without sensation. There's only one quote where it's mentioned in the entirety of the message. But yet the mystery of surrender, I wonder if we really even comprehend it to this day. But yet you'll find out as we go on in God that the more we surrender ourselves to God, the more of these great wonderful things that we actually want that we will get. So we won't study ourselves into it. We will not listen to tapes and by that we will listen ourselves into it. We won't even get it by church attendance. Although all of those things you should be doing them with all of your heart. But the key to it all is being able to surrender. So the more we surrender the more of our will, the more of our intellect, the more of our ability that we surrender to God, the more that God can use us. You know, when we look at Brother Branham and see the gift that was in his life, it wasn't that Brother Branham as a man was much more outstanding than any other man. It wasn't that his mother was greater, his father was greater, the Branhams was so much more holy, had absolutely nothing to do 
with it. It was that God put that gift in his life and he said to us over and over again. He said, the gift is me being able to get myself out of the way. And God put such a gift in the man's life that the Lord Jesus himself, not an anointing of the Holy Ghost, but the Lord Jesus himself would be able to come and be able, and Brother Ben said it this way, that he said, if I can just yield myself and he will give me a temporary resurrection. You understand what happened to him whenever he was standing there? It was the presence of the Son of Man. And he was resurrecting a mortal's body. Oh, hallelujah. I hope you don't think I'm crazy, but it's the same way when a man will preach the gospel. I stood or sat the other night in Arizona last Friday night, and I watched Brother Darrell. And I knew that he was in such pain and is just suffering so much to come to the meetings there. But yet as he stepped to the pulpit and he began to preach and jump and holler and run and scream and carry on, you would have never thought there was one thing wrong with that man. But yet when the anointing left him and I watched him as he was kind of crippling around and I saw him on Saturday, I saw him on Sunday, I saw him Monday as we boarded the plane to fly back to Atlanta and he could just barely walk sometime. And I heard from him again this morning, same thing happened again last night. The anointing come on him and the Spirit of God moved when the anointing left, he could barely walk. Don't you understand what God does to a preacher when the anointing comes on him? You understand what that is? That man enters into a phase of a a temporary resurrection. I stood right here a couple of weeks ago, sick as a dog, where I got stung by yellow jackets, my arms swollen on both sides, my hand had a fever, a headache, this and that and the other. I knew if I could get behind this pulpit and get under the anointing and you'd go to pulling on me, I knew the Spirit of God would move. But by the time I got done, I wouldn't didn't think I was going to make it to the house. I was so sick. I was so wore out. The anointing gives us a temporary resurrection. Now, if we can be able to submit our body like that, don't you understand that you're getting a foretaste when you get prayed for by divine healing? Don't you see what that is? It is a temporary resurrection of what you're fixing to experience and a full scale with a body change. So what we yield to God, God then can in turn and take that. So it makes sense. The more we yield to God, the more that God can use. Now, listen to this. Again, I read this. We read it last night. Brother Ben said, when you come to total obedience, then you can have possession. So obedience, which comes, of course, by surrender. So then we surrender our will to the will of God. We obey God's word, not out of legalism now. And we know that many of us have been through the school of legalism. And we pay our tithes. We go to church. We do this and that and the other because we're scared we'll go to hell. You will never have full possession of the reality of God as long as you're doing that by legalism. You do it because you love him. He wants you to pay your tithes, so you do it. You go to church because he wants you to do it. Not because you're scared that the deacons are going to call you and we're going to bring you before the church and call, call your name out and embarrass you because you don't come to church. No, I don't do that way. If you don't love God enough to come to church, forget it. I'll preach to those who want to and I'm going to have church with or without you. It's up to you. If you want to come, we're going to be here. If you don't want to come, do whatever you want to do. But it's not because of a legalism. Well, I've got to go. I better go to church. I better do this. I better do that. No, you've never learned the power of surrender. Notice this. When God plants his promise. Oh, I found this this morning. I thought it was wonderful. When God plants his promise in you. 
and it becomes a living reality, then something is different. You just don't go and say, yes, I believe it. Now, that's all right. The devil believes it like that. Now, the devil is not a make-believer. Actually, the devil is a real believer. Now, I know that staggers you, but type in in this evening when you go home or do it on your phone right now if you want to check me out. And you'll find out Brother Branham says the devil really believes. As a matter of fact, the devil believes and trembles. And I read this morning, the prophet said, the very reason the devil trembles is, is because he sees his end out there. So he reads it, Harry, in the Word, and he believes, and he knows what he's fixing to get, and it trembles. Well, if he reads his end, and it makes his tremble, don't you point your finger at me because I read my end, and it makes me shout. <laughs> if the devil can read his end, and it scares him, it ought to excite us as the people of God. Now what's this? The devil believes it like that, but it's confirmed to you. The word becomes alive in you. Oh, I love this when we read it last night. But God wants a complete surrender. Do you believe that? God wants a surrender. How can God show you realities before you surrender yourself to him? You've got to surrender. So Satan then will keep people from the reality of God by them holding back that complete surrender. Then he will turn it right around on them and convince them they've given up so much and they're giving their all and God just don't want them to have it. So he will do it and then he will blame God for his own lying mischief. I think it's time we expose that devil. And then in doing so, they miss the reality and they keep going to church and they keep reading their Bible and so on and so on. But they become so discouraged because they say, I told Carol last night, I said, you know, it must, it must be really different. For the majority of Christendom today that go into denominational churches, they're basically fellowshipping among people that for the most part don't have the reality of God anyway. Their preachers and the pulpits don't have it. Their theologians don't have it. Their Sunday school teachers don't have it because they're living in the past tense light. So they don't have a present tense reality. So they can go to them types of churches and feel very comfortable and very at home because even the leaders don't have the reality of God. But then you take people who sat around our ranks and they fellowship among people who have reality, who talk about reality and live in reality and they look at themselves and they say, I don't have that, but I want it, I think I do, and then they'll apply them and they'll try this and that and the other and then they don't get it then the devil comes right back around and says well see there you've tried this you've done your best no more than likely you've not done your best but he's trying to convince you that you've done your best so he can turn it right around against you until you see God don't want you to have it he is a liar God does want you to have living realities but I can't give it to you as much as I love every one of you. I cannot wrap it up in a package and deliver it to your door. I cannot be able to hand it to you. It can only come by one way. You surrendering to God. Listen to this in a prisoner. The prophet said God always has to take any man that will serve him truly to be his prisoner. A man has to surrender every ambition he's got. Everything, everything in his life, soul, body, will, ambitions, and everything else, and become a complete a prisoner to Christ. There you are. You've only got one thing to do. 
The first step tonight. Well, you said that's so simple. You're right, it is. But it's so hard to do. If it's so simple and so easy, tell me why more people don't have it. The hard part is not understanding it. The hard part is not actually God giving it to you. The hard part is you being willing to give up. Well, praise the Lord. Don't tell me y'all going to be quiet on me now today on Sunday morning. The first step tonight, he said, is surrender. You become a prisoner. Now, don't think of yourself or something else, but become a prisoner. But you see, for many, there is such a fear of total surrender. So they can give a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that. But they're always keeping back a portion of everything they give to God just in case it fails, just in case it doesn't work out. Many of them have seen many casualties along the way. Well, they've seen this man fall, this woman fall, this person said they trusted God. So instead of them totally making a complete commitment, then they will give God so much of it, but they will keep just a little bit back in case it works out so they could always work back and say well actually in all reality I never did really believe it all with all of my heart and then you wonder why you can't go on with God you see God will never make realities known to a person like that who gives God 50 and they take 50 or who give God even 75 and they keep 25 or 85 and 15 there's only one way you'll get the reality of God and that is you give it all away all your will all your ambition all your understanding all your reason everything as long as you're keeping in of it now many of you have a kaleidoscope today in your life and if you'd really look at it and God would open up you've got an element of this that you've kept back and an element of that that you've kept back and an element of that and if you really look at the kaleidoscope of your life you'll see you have got a great portion of yourself still in your pocket preach brother Donnie amen brother Donnie we're behind you brother Donnie burn our hearts brother Donnie tell us the truth brother Donnie It takes longer to preach that way, but I can do it if y'all want me to hear me amen myself. Oh, my. Can we go today now back to the man that was looking at last night, Saul. Saul, as we left him last night, he was in Gilgal, and the Philistines had gathered in Michmash. They had several thousand chariots. They had several thousand men. And Saul, at this particular time in the war, he started out with a couple of thousand, now he's down to 600. So he's at a very, very difficult spot, and Saul goes on and presumes to offer a sacrifice unto the Lord. As soon as he gets done, then Samuel walks up and begins to question him. For those of you that were here, you remember it. For those of you that weren't here, I don't have time to go back and go through all that again. But yet Saul did not know how to truly repent. Now Saul knew how to say the right words at times, but yet Paul, Saul never actually caught the spirit of the repentance. 
repentive words that God accepts. Now, so whenever the prophet Samuel comes to him and said, well, why did you do this? And he said, God would have established your kingdom forever. Now, it looked like in one sense of the word that what he did was really not that great at all in comparison to what David did and comparison to what other men did. But it wasn't just what he did that was wrong, but it was the way he approached the repentance of what he did whenever it was brought to his attention by the prophet of God. And that was that he blamed everybody else. Well, if it wasn't for so-and-so, and the people done this, and, and the Philistines was coming, and everybody was leaving me. This was going on, and that was going on. Even when he was pointed out that he was wrong, it's like the man never knew how to repent right. I'll show you this morning that that scenario continued on. 1 Samuel 15, 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he did lay and wait for him in the way when he come out from Egypt. Now notice this. God remembers. This has been hundreds and hundreds of years. And God still remembers what Amalek done. And they said, please, give us some water, give us some food, we'll buy it. No, we're not having nothing to do with you bunch of holy rollers. You get out of here. God said, I still remember the way they treated my children. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Does that sound simple enough to you all? We're all on the same page. Okay? This is simple enough, right? Okay, we're walking away from this meeting with Saul and Samuel. You're going to go down there. You're going to kill every Amalekite. Every man, woman, boy or girl, and every animal leave nothing alive. We all agree. Verse 7. Saul and smote, notice now, and Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah unto thou comest unto Shur, that is over against Egypt. Notice this now. This man was a professional when it come to being a butcher. He must have been quite a warrior, which is a mystery within itself. How did he learn how to do this? They were farmers. But he could give this to God. It must have been something to watch this man fight. His men must have looked and said, where did he learn how to do this? Now remember, there was only two men, only two men among the children of Israel that had a sword. That was Saul and Jonathan. They had no smiths, the Bible says. So when they would sharpen their axe and their goad and their coulter and all their other things, you know what they had to do? They had to go down to the Philistines and have the Philistines to be able to sharpen their axes because they wouldn't let them have weapons. Every man had a file to be able to file his culture. Yes, this is in your scripture. But they did not have a sword. Two men among the army of Israel has a sword. Saul and Jonathan. It must have been a marvel to watch this man as he would might take it, take his sword and go back and forth and kill and kill. Why? He could surrender that to God. 
He could give God his sight. You imagine the handwork and the sight and the hearing and the vision, all that that had to be coordinated together as you're fighting these men, plus looking behind you and watching as they're coming around you and you're giving that to God, the anointing coming on Saul. Come here, you devil. Come here. You want more of it? Come on. The people must have said, oh, what a king. Verse 8, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Isn't it amazing? He could fight with such ability. But it's like he never could understand the importance of obeying simple little principles. God said, kill them all. But you see, remember what the prophet said about Saul. He said he always knew there was three things that got people in trouble. Preachers, especially. Women, money, popularity. He said, popularity is what got Saul. Now what, Saul? This was a custom, of course. With the way of the rest of the countries during this time frame, that you would take the king and you would make a parade out of him. So you would bring him through the cities and through the countries and through the town. And you, of course, were the mighty man. You were the one which had taken this king. It is part of Saul's pride and his arrogance that instead of just killing him and leaving him dead, laying there with all the rest of them, his own pride had got puffed up. I know what I'm going to do with him, boy. I'm going to take him. And, don't you see, friends, what an unsurrendered heart does. Even in doing the work of God, an unsurrendered heart taints the very flow of the Spirit of God in fulfilling the Word completely. How is it that we can have such gifted preachers around this message and so many of them wind up being kingdom builders? Oh my, and you sit and listen. Oh my, oh, they can bring such great things. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, how wonderful. Before it's all said and done, they're still going to wind up talking about themselves. Because to them, that's what it's all about. It's how great they are, how wonderful they are, how God's going to use them. Boy, the next thing you know, they're going to be right hand man in the millennium to hear them talk about it. I hope they're even there with that kind of attitude. So, what so? Now he enters into this phase of this. Watch what happens. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people. All you got to do is leave one. And you've disobeyed. So let's say they kill 40,000, 50,000, 60, 70, 100, 100,000. Boy, won't God be proud of me? God will be displeased that you left the one alive. That's the way it is with sin in our life. Oh, we can lay aside smoking. I never did like it anyway. It always made me sick. Hallelujah. I got my foot on that old smoking devil. I'm laying aside this and that and the other. Oh, but it's that thing that you love is what God wants to say. Oh, my. Utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But so. And the people 
spared Agag. And the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. I see. I see. So God said, destroy it all. God said, it's evil. But they walk in and they say, now, I kind of believe God's a little bit wrong on this. So we've got the ability to say, well, now, this is good and this is bad and this is good. And Praise be to God. God said, kill everything. But they said, no, 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 no now. There's some good things on TV. Not all sporting events is not bad. You see what, you, don't you see what we do? Don't you see when the word of God declares, someone said, don't go here, don't do this, don't do that. And then we go to looking at the very thing and say, but yeah, but this is an exception to that rule. According to who? You? And your credentials are... Look, friends, what an unsurrendered heart does. In the very service of God, in the very work of God, an unsurrendered heart will look right at what God says and says, but, but, goats do that, not sheep. Well, praise the Lord. Now notice, so they got the lambs, all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refused, they destroyed utterly. But my question still comes back to, where were these words in the original command of the prophet? Where did the prophet say, now when you get in there, you divide the good from the bad. And it's okay to keep the good. You see, under the leadership of such a man, this is what it produces among the people. So if you've got an arrogant preacher in the pulpit that thinks the whole economy of God works around him, what do you figure the people's going to do? That's why God did not send us a prophet that all of his visions was about himself. Oh, I know some men around the message who claim to be prophets. I know some who claim they're going to rise up and do this and that and the other for the bride. And most of their visions is about who? Them. False prophet. Sign of a liar, deceiver. Go to hell if you don't get converted and get the Holy Ghost. Well, praise the Lord. Notice verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel saying, It repenteth me that I have set Saul up to be king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And he grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night. You see, a true prophet of God does not look at the fall of one and rejoice because it'll be the uplifting of himself. A true prophet of God grieves when he sees a real man fall. 
A true prophet of God looks at the sinners and he grieves. If Brother Branham was here today, friend, I imagine he'd spend so much time grieving because what our nation has become. Not standing around, ha, 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 ha. I told you so. I told you so. That ain't a servant of God. So Samuel cries all night long. And when Samuel arose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed, blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed The commandment of the Lord. Look what an unsurrendered heart does. It so warps disobedience. Now this man is thinking, glory to God, hallelujah. I've done what God said, praise be to God. Oh, the prophet of God's going to be so proud. I've done what he said. I've kept every word. I've kept the commandment of God. And Samuel said, what meaneth this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Now watch an unsurrendered heart. And Saul said, uh, As I told you last night, a surrendered heart will make mistakes. A surrendered Christian that loves God with all of their heart, they've got this old human part and they hate it, but they have to deal with it all the time. But a surrendered heart knows how to talk to God even when they're wrong in genuine repentance. Well, it was my wife. It was my uncle. It was my brother. It's that stinking church we go to. It's Brother Donnie's fault. Look, friends, I'm at fault for a lot of things. Don't you blame me for your backsliding. Don't you blame me for not hearing the truth. There's more truth preached right here in this church than preaching denominationals in a year. If you don't make it, you're going to be without excuse when you stand before God that day. Don't blame me for it. And Saul said they. But I read to you already what Samuel wrote here. Saul and the people. But when it comes right down to facing it now, he says it's their fault. They brought them from the Amalekites for the people. Spare the best. Does this man not know? He's talking to a prophet of God that has the ability to look in and know the very secrets of men's hearts. This is an unsurrendered heart. The fox had eat on him and eat on him. His grapes was gone. The protection of the life around the vine was gone. Look at him. It's all about him. And when it's all said and done, it's how he comes out of this situation unscathed. Okay. 
There's not that many people in this church named Saul, are they? I just kind of had that thought. Maybe that's why everybody was quiet. Terry Saul Horn, J.D. Saul Whitson, uh, Mary Sue Saul. No, really? Okay. I, I, just, I just want to make sure of that. Oh, my goodness. The people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. And this is why we did it. This is why. To sacrifice under the Lord thy God. So now he's not only hypocritical, he's a liar. And the rest, of course, we have utterly destroyed. Ain't you proud of us? We've done exactly what you said there. People who think they're doing exactly what Brother Branham said do, when they're trying their best to get God-called preachers out of the pulpit and turn every church into a tape church and stand and say that they are doing what the prophet said, liars! People trying to take the baptism of the Holy Ghost away from us and say, all you got to do is believe God sent a prophet and you'll make it, liars! Brother Branham never taught us any such nonsense. If you ain't got the Holy Ghost, you will never leave this world in a rapture. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said unto me this night. What's the unrepentant attitude? And he said unto him, Say on. You got something to say to me? Say it. I'm the king. Kings can get whoopings like paupers. Except generally they're in front of everybody. Now watch Samuel go to the core, to the very heart. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight. Here's his problem with it, Jim. He has now in his own eyes become a great man. Now, it's one thing for people to look at a servant of God and have respect and admiration and say, he's a great servant. He's... That's part of it. But when that man goes to looking at himself and saying such, he's on the way to Saul's demise. Lord Jesus, modest, humble, submissive. That's what these words mean. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? Remember when Samuel called him? He said, Benjamin's the least among them. And our family's the least among them. And I'm the least in the family. I can't do any of that. I can't do it. At that time, he had the right vision. He was here. But now he's here. And the sad thing about it is now he don't even know how to repent right. 
He can say he's sorry, but he's not sorry. He can say I've sinned, but he really don't believe it. It's like he don't catch it, the impact of what he has done. Can I go on? Watch this, question answers. Jesus speaking, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. See, Satan was the original archangel of God. He once dwelt in the heavens. The once the greatest person in the heavens outside of God. He was God's right hand man to fellowship. And he got puffed up and he suffered. Isn't that just the way people get today? Let God just bless a fella. Put a little confidence in him. And he gets to be a know-it-all. He's got to start an organization or he's got to do something that's different. Why art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Can you imagine Brother Branham quoting that scripture in relation to preachers who get all puffed up with a know-it-all attitude? How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Listen to this, children. This breaks my heart every time I read it. I've read it for decades. It wrenches my heart every time I read it. God has a hard time trying to get somebody that he can deal with. He can make worlds. He can make universes. He can make stars. He can make animals out of nothing. He can do so much stuff. But God has the hardest time ever was trying to find a human being that he can use that when he goes to using them, they won't get all puffed up and think they're something. God has a hard time trying to get somebody that he can deal with that'll stay humble and meek. And stay in a place until God calls him to do something. You believe that, see? A man that God can bless and still keep himself a man and not be an angel or a God. Don't you see what this is? This goes right back to the Garden of Eden in the first place. That once man becomes blessed, it ain't just so with preachers. It's so with singers and songwriters and whoever more. And musicians many times. Oh, that same place. Oh, the church needs me. The church can't run without you. Oh, I'll tell you one thing. Everybody here is replaceable, including me. Everybody in this assembly can be replaced from the pastor on down. Keep this evil thing away from your heart. The church can't run without me. Oh, yes, we can. So when God goes to using a man then, he either wants to become a God, not the God, but a God or an angel. What in man, what in the world in man would make him think that he's an angel or a God? An unsurrendered. He wants to become a God. He wants to become an angel. He wants to become some great person. What? Well, me, mine, mine. That's the wrong attitude. God's hunting for somebody who he could bless and pour out the blessings. And the more he blessed, the littler 
the man will become. Don't you understand why Brother Ram's ministry was so successful for him? Right on down to the end. He was this kind of a man. He wasn't like Lord Roberts and many of those guys in those days. Those of you that have read about them, you know what they would do. Some of the men from Jack Coe's would have the largest tent. Some of the men from Lord Roberts would go to Jack Coe's at midnight and measure the tent and order the next one so they could say, the world's greatest tent. That's the kind of men Brother Branham rubbed shoulders with, shoulders with. And it was those men, many of those that stood up and said, Brother Branham didn't just tell us about God. He lived about God. Go to some of those men who were his contemporaries and hear their testimonies of how they met him and what they had to say. I read this week where Jack Coe talking about when he met the prophet of God and he thought in his mind, I don't know about all this discernment stuff. And the prophet called him out and told him, he said, you've got a question in your mind about this. But he said, it's the truth. Not only that, you're going to have a healing ministry. He wants it. The prophet of God prayed for a baby. Come up to <laughs> Come up in a prayer line with no eyeballs. He saw the baby a few days later with eyeballs. But the baby was still blind. You imagine how God progressively does things. The baby born with no eyeballs. But God took it a stage at a time and created eyeballs. And he saw the child a couple of days later. And the child was walking around with sight. Why? He was a man that the more God used him, the littler he gets. And the more he used him, the littler he gets. You'll never get more of God until you become nothing. This is why we must be surrendered. Do you understand what lays before us? The body change. The prophet said, I believe the time is coming when missing limbs will be restored. You believe what you want, you say what you want. It may be a month, it may be six days, and I don't know how long it'll be or what it'll be exactly. But I believe that there is a time coming when we will see the supernatural, not just healing, but creative powers of God among us. If God's going to do it, He's going to have to have people that can believe Him. He's going to have to have people that's more interested in the kingdom of God than they are the kingdom of this world. They're not drunk on Laodicea. They're so wanting the hunger of the Holy Spirit. They're so craving after God. They want that more than life. And he's going to have to have preachers that he can trust. If not, every man wants to go and brag about, I've done this and I prayed for this man and I prayed for that man. Look, friend, there's no preacher that's a miracle worker. There's only one miracle worker and that's the Lord Jesus. You'll never get more of God until you become nothing. You've got to belittle yourself. He that will exalt himself, God will bring a base. And he that will humble himself, God will exalt. You've got to get little before you can get big. And you'll never be big in your own self. You'll only be as big as God will be big in you. My whole life, since I gave my heart to God, that's all I've ever wanted. 
People think they want an international ministry and want people all over the world listening to you. You don't know what goes with it. You'll never know what I deal with. I would to God I could pastor a little church somewhere, just a handful of people. Nobody know my name. Nobody want me for no conventions. Nobody want me. I certainly wouldn't want to preach to an international congregation, international trouble, international issues. Oh, Brother Donnie wants this, that, and other. It proves you don't even know me. If you knew me, you'd know that I do not desire this place. I do not desire. As a matter of fact, I don't know any of the servants of God that I'm personally acquainted with that desire to have a big, important, valuable ministry. Most of them would turn it over any day out of the week to whoever God would want it and the man who wants it probably ain't even called <laughs> notice now Samuel as he goes back to Saul the Lord sent thee on a journey and said go and utterly destroy the sinners the Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed wherefore then didst thou not Obey the voice of the Lord, but did us fly upon the spoil. Uh-oh. So much for the sacrifice excuse. If you look at these terms, the Hebrew terms are like a bunch of vultures and ravenous birds that are flying in on the carcass to consume it. He said, don't you hide behind that fake thing, you hypocrite. You didn't mean this for God, you meant it for yourself. Notice the way the prophet looked at it. You did evil in the sight of God. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Friends, can't you see the danger? Of an unsurrendered heart. That people will look right in the face of a prophet of God and say, I've done what's right. You come in, you're condemning me and trying to tell me all this kind of stuff. You ain't got no business telling me. That's an unrepentant heart. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And have brought Agag the king of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. How can this man stand there telling what he's done and saying I've done what God said and with his own mouth he's condemning himself? Actually, if you look at the sentence here, Samuel is not even done. But Saul gets so angry, he breaks in on the prophet of God and interrupts him. He's rebuked him, and boy, his anger is all fired up. He can't take it. I want you to know one thing. I've done what God said. God, help me never have a heart like this Please, God. Can I have just a little more time? But the people. Here we go again. But the people took all the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the thing, which should have been utterly destroyed. All right, all right, all right. I agree. They should have been killed. But you're not going to blame me for it, are you? 
the people. And oh, 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 who is this talking? King? So? Would you just directed these people? They followed his orders about paying of death. He's the man giving out the orders. You go here, you go there, you do this. And he don't have enough authority to so, say, hey, take them animals back, leave them. Lord, children, do you see the danger of an unsurrendered heart? How it goes to tampering with the word and explaining. You see, this is the filter. In many message folks today, this is why we've got so much stuff going on. They're pulling the words of a prophet. Now, this prophet was standing right there in front of him in flesh. You imagine this man seeing this guy seeing visions. This man's done all kinds of things, and yet you'd buzz right up in his face and tell him this. You imagine they have no fear today doing it with a book or a tape. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey. It's better than sacrifice. Why? One is ceremonial. The other one is moral. Sacrifice was ceremonial. Obeying the voice of the Lord was a tone of morality in a person's heart. Sure, you can go offer an offering to God. You can do that sincere, not sincere. Don't even halfway mean it. That's ceremonial. But when you obey the word of God from a love in your heart, what's it from? That spark of divine morality that's hit your soul. The other ceremonial. What's this to many people in church? Ceremonial. What's this? Ceremonial. Reach in their pocket. Put an offering in the offering plate. What is it? Ceremonial. Go and buy the widow some coal. Ceremonial. Send them do this and that and the other for the other person. Ceremonial. But to give their heart totally without fetters to the Lord Jesus? Lord God let me find a place to close Samuel says in verse 23 for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness for some of you that are stubborn as a mule and proud of it. I want you to listen to your trait, which you think is so wonderful. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. You might as well go home and get you some red clay and mix in a little bunch of loam and a little bit of peat moss and get you some water and put just a little bit of semen in together and make you an idol and fall down before that idol and say, oh, I worship you to be rebellious against God. Well, do you understand where this will lead you and me if this is what dominates our hearts of an unsurrendered heart? Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected thee from being king. Saul said unto Samuel, 
I see it. All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've sinned. That's right, I've sinned. Okay. I agree with you now. I agree with you. Isn't it amazing? Now he agrees with him after he's told he's going to lose his kingship. I have sinned. Try to transgress the commandment of the Lord. And in his heart, Harry, you can see that he still thinks part of this stuff is Samuel. After all, he didn't hear God say none of this stuff. All he's got is Samuel's word. So watch him attribute to Samuel part of his own problem. He thinks Samuel wants acknowledgement that he's the mouthpiece of God. Oh, I can flatter you. I have no problem. I broke God's words and I broke your words. Okay, I've sinned. Because. Here we go again. Not because I was stubborn. Did he just miss that sermon? God just sent him a sermon. And he stood right there and heard it dealing with rebellion. And all of that, did he miss it? It had nothing to do with me. I'm not stubborn. I'm not hard-headed. I'm not rebellious. My only problem was I was afraid of the people. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin. Notice his words. Pardon my sin. Asking the prophet to forgive him. Why? Thinking in his mind, a lot of this is Samuel's problem. It ain't mine, no way. Samuel's got this ego. He's got this thing. Oh, he's the prophet of the age. And you got to do what he says to you. So, all right, all right, all right. Then I pray you'll forgive me. Is that what you've been wanting now? But watch him. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin. And turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. Now watch his pride and his arrogance and the association with still being identified in his position. Okay, I'm wrong. I've sinned. I've, I've done horrible things. That's right. Amen. Now let's, let's, I'm repenting. Let's forget all that. And let's just go to church and that, nothing happened. How's that? Let's just go back to church and, and we'll go right on and oh, praise God. Amen. Oh, brother Saul. Right now, remember Saul prophesied. Remember the Bible said they said, is Saul among the prophets? You didn't know that. Well, read your Bible. You'll find that Saul did prophesy and he acted like a prophet. He said, hey, let's go to church. I'll be a prophet again. But in his heart, Brother Keith, he still don't see he's wrong. He does not see the depth of the damage that he has done. He does not see he is rejected. And God has sought him out a man who's after his own heart. As I pointed out to you last night, although that man didn't know it. This is prophecy before God ever called David. But God said, I found me a man. He just hadn't let David know it yet. Praise be to God. You imagine so for a moment, oh, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, 
Oh, how many folks I've sat with and watched them crocodile tears. <gasps> Boy, they know how to wrench their hands. Turn the drama. Oh, you can tell they've watched too many movies. They've not read their Bible enough to know how to repent. God, don't measure your tears. God's not looking at the wrinkles in your face, but the attitude from your heart. Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee. For thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle. And it ripped. So here the prophet of God is turning and walking away. And Saul reaches out, and when he does, he grabs a hold of the mantle, and Samuel walks forward. He turns back and said, God has this day torn the kingdom from your hands. Now, let's be honest. As I mentioned it last night in reality, does, it look, does this look like to you that he done as much as David? David, who committed adultery with a man's wife, then had the man killed, then kept it covered up, and then all kinds of things that went about had other people to lie for him and all that he'd done. And yet, when you look at this man here, the things that he'd done, it doesn't look near as bad. I mean, Saul has not killed an innocent person. He's not taken another man's wife. What is the difference? As soon as the prophet came to David, he said, I've sinned. Oh God, I've sinned, forgive me. Oh God, oh God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Renew me, Lord, put in the right spirit in me. Even when the judgment of God came against him at Absalom, when his daughter was raped, look at every instance that happened in David's life after his sin. He did not charge God. He did not charge God foolishly or say, God, this ain't right. This is not fair. You know what he did? He still give praise and honor to the justice of God. Why? He had a surrendered heart. And God looked at him and said, He's a man after my own heart. Oh, happy valley. May we be these kind of people. Samuel said unto him, The Lord has rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Also the strength of Israel will not lie or repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet, watch it, he, he cannot get beyond himself. God have mercy on us. Don't you see, your most rotten enemy is you. Even now, even now, the prophet telling him again, and he said, oh, I repent, I've done wrong, but please honor me, me, me. I pray thee before the elders of my people. Can't you see what mattered to him? What people thought. stand together
Let's move to verse 31 there, brothers. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel went to Ramah. Saul went to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. May Almighty God, may Almighty God never say, I wish I would have never made Donnie the pastor of Happy Valley. I wish I'd have never made Terry a preacher. I wish I'd have never made this man a deacon. I wish I'd have never had this man to... I wish I'd have never done it. Isn't it amazing? In all of David's mistakes, God never said that. Why? He knew how to repent. Bobby, he knew how to repent. David always knew that even though he was the king, God was the real king. It's like Saul never got that perspective. It's like someone told me the other day, talking about a certain preacher, that all the time preaching about himself and exalting himself. And he said, ain't this, this brother asking me, ain't church supposed to be about Jesus? And ain't we supposed to talk about Jesus? I said, absolutely. He said, well, this preacher reminds me of somebody photobombing. A picture of Jesus. We're taking pictures of Jesus and this guy's all the time got his head stuck up in the photo. That's a sick person, friend. You know it, but I'm going to remind you. This church is not about me. If the Lord tarries and I go on a few years, I'll get to where I won't be able to preach. And I'll get so old you won't want me to. That's right. But the church will go on unless it's built on me. Then if it's built on me when I get where I can't preach no more, the church will fall apart. Why? Because you always fall on a man instead of the word. But if I pull out of this parking lot out here this evening and get run over by a tractor and trailer and don't breathe another 30 seconds after I'm hit. If this church is built upon the rock, Christ Jesus, you'll cry, you'll lament, but God will send somebody right in here among you who's not self-centered, who's not selfish, who's not have a big idea of what he's going to be and what he's going to accomplish because that's the kind of people I believe you are. It would be unbecoming of who you are for God to raise up somebody among you who is an arrogant, proud numbskull that don't even know which way is toward heaven. He thinks he's the gate. He thinks he's the door. It would be discomplimentary to God's divine judgment to send such a preacher to follow up. That's the confidence I have in you as the saints of God. Let's always keep him the center. Of everything. We give respect. We give honor to our musicians, to the deacons, the trustees, the ministers, the song leaders. Do we not? The Sunday school teachers, all the people that do the work that they do here at the church. But worship only to the Lord Jesus. 
And you can do me the greatest favor that I could ever ask of you. Pray for me that I'll stay little in my own eyes. And I'll pray for you that you'll stay little in yours. Because if not, this will be your demise. The Saul, the story of Saul is still being written. It's sad to say it's still being written about men in this message. They think they're the greatest ever was. Everybody in the bride's going to hear it. And there are certain preachers that proclaim and believe they've been sent to correct Brother Branham. They've been sent to straighten Brother Branham out. Brother Branham is not sent to build a platform for anybody else other than the Lord Jesus. We don't need somebody to come in and tell us what he meant. Let's just say what he said. We'll be doing good to do that. Let's just live what he said and we'll be doing good. God help us. God help us. May each of us today as we look in the light of this. Brother Don, is there more avenues of your life? Oh, I'm sure there are. As I preached last night and I went home and I thought about myself. I thought, God, please help me. I told him. I was laying there in the bed. The lights all shut off. I said, God, please. If there's anything about me that's unsurrendered, help me. Help me. Lord, is there anything about me that you view, that you see as selfish about me? Please show me. I want to get rid of it, Lord. Don't you? Your pride, your arrogance, whatever it is, trusting in yourself. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I so thank you for these two services. I'm so glad you're in control, Lord, and not me. If I would have went the direction that I thought was the right way, I would have totally skipped this completely. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, these are two life-changing services. Lord, we come to you tonight, unlike, today, unlike Saul, but like David. Lord, we come as preachers. There's preachers that's standing here that's preaching for decades. Saints of God that's been saved for 50, 60 years. But we're coming to you today as people, Lord, who were saying, search our hearts. Look at every avenue of our lives, Lord Jesus. See what you find that's unsurrendered to you. Is it a motive, an objective, a pet doctrine we carried over from Pentecost or Baptist or just whatever it is, Lord? Make it known to us. And help us as we go along the way, as bad as we hate our mistakes and our failures and our shortcomings. Help us, Lord, that we'll not be like Saul. That we'll be like David. That whenever our mistakes and our errors are brought to our attention, that we will blame no one else. Well, if my mama would have done this and my daddy would have done that, we know all those things affect us, Lord. We're not trying to make light of that. But the reality of it is, now we have to make our choices based upon what we want, not what daddy done, not what mama done. Help us, I pray, Lord God. I pray not only for this visible audience, but I pray for those that have streamed the service, those that will go back and hear it, those in Norway. Those, Lord God, in Iceland, 
those all over Africa. I got an email this week from some in Africa that's just now hearing part three and part four of the Little Foxes because they don't have internet to be able to stream. So the DVDs, they wait for them for months after they're preached here. So even though we're in part 21, the effect is still rippling around the world. And we say that out of a grateful heart. But Lord Jesus, may your spirit move among us today. Help me, Lord. Speak to my heart and show me. If there's anything about me that displeases you, my Lord. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me. Help me, Lord Jesus. Help me that I'll never think I'm something. That I'll always know and remember. I'm nothing. As long as I keep that idea, you'll be able to use me, Lord. Help the singers, the musicians, each of us to count it such an honor, such an honor to come to this place to worship God, to hear the truth, to be changed. Praise God. I mean, is that your desire today before the Lord? Just raise your hand to Him. You love Him with all your hearts. Don't you appreciate His truth? Oh, I know it cuts us. I know it hurts us. It, it does me too. But I'm so grateful for the truth. Amen. Praise God. Imagine Brother Branham doing all the preaching that he done. Yet he comes on a Wednesday night service at the Branham Tabernacle. What was it? August of 1963. And said he hadn't really prepared to preach. And he didn't really have anything lined out. But maybe he could kind of thumb through the scripture there and find a little something to talk about. And he preaches Paul, a prisoner. He's saying, wow, that wasn't even studied. No notes, that wasn't even lined out. That's just a little something to talk about. But what a great thing it was. May God help us today. Many years ago, I stood in Florida and preached part of a convention. I preached on recapturing prisoners. My theme was that the people of God are captured by bonds of love. When I throw in bars like this, across this rail, across here, that are steel or iron, but the bonds that holds us is the love of God. And the Lord wants us to serve Him out of that way. But many times because the liberality of love is so free, we feel we can do this and do that and do the other and get by with it. Where if He was under the ministration of a tyrant, the Lord Jesus is not a tyrant. He would take a whip and beat your back and scare you back in behind the bars. But He's a God of love and mercy. So then we tend to take advantage of that. We tend to take advantage of those liberties. At the end of the service, I made an altar call. A bunch of people come up. We rebaptized 20-some people that night after service. What was God doing? Recapturing prisoners. Except He didn't send out an armed guard. Snipers. He sent a preacher, anointed with the love of God, to be able to portray the mercy of God. So if you're an escaped prisoner from this prison house of the love of God, I've come looking for you today. Don't worry, I don't have a sniper's rifle. 
Don't worry, I don't have chains, cuffs, or dogs by which I will catch you. And when I bring you back, that I'll beat you and thrash you within an inch of your life. No. But let me tell you what I have. I have a heart that loves you so much. I give to you a portion of my life every time I preach. I have tears that I shed for you when you're sick, when you're in distress and despair. As a church, we come after you today. Not so we can run you down on Facebook. And if you do that, quit it. We come after you today to tell you there's mercy, there's pardon, there's forgiveness, there's love. Come back inside the castle, would you? Don't look at these bars as prison bars. They're castle walls. They'll protect you from Laodicea. The darkness, the heinous sin and crimes and evil that's so rampant in the day we live. Amen. Can we bow our heads for just a moment? Is there anybody that feels like you need to be recaptured? Of the love of God. You've strayed somewhat. You just, oh, it's not that you're backsliding out and drinking and that sort of thing, but this word has reminded you. You've let some things creep in. You'd like to be remembered at prayer. God bless you. With our heads bowed and no one looking around. Lord Jesus, you saw these hands, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would help them. Men, women, boys, girls. You know what each hand signified. Lord Jesus, we come after them in your love and your mercy. Would you help them today, Lord? May they be able to sense and feel the drawing power of the love of God. As you slip your arms, Lord, not a whip. Not steel bar, bars to enchain them, but your arms of love and mercy. Grant it, I pray, Lord. You believe with all your heart? Let me reiterate the story that I told last night. As Carol and I sat some time ago with a friend of mine and his wife, who is a minister. He's telling me about his road coming to God, and I'll brief it for today. But he'd been in church and out and come in and out. So he goes to this service. He wants to make a commitment to God. He goes home, throws away all of his drugs, all of his marijuana and his marijuana paraphernalia, whatever all that stuff was. Goes to bed that night feeling wonderful. Wakes up the next morning shaking, nervous, tore to pieces because he needs another cigarette. The devil jumps on him, look what you've done, look what you've done. He's shaking, shaking, going around the house, breaks out in a cold sweat. Flushed all of his dope down the toilet the, next, the night before that, though, so he can't go down the toilet and get it. But he remembers where his favorite place to smoke marijuana was. It was on a beach with a rock outcropping. So he would go there and he would smoke it and then drop down the little remnants. So he runs up, gets down on his hands and knees, frantic, looking, looking, and he finds a little bitty, tiny marijuana, whatever they call it, 
Heads back to the house. Lives right near the beach. Heads back to the house running. Can find no lighter, find no matches. He just tore all to pieces. Finally catches it in a utensil, kitchen utensil, and holds it next to the stove, lights it, starts pulling off of it, and, you know, getting this marijuana in his body, and, oh, you know, doing whatever the effects that it was it had on him. And all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost come in the room where he was. And he goes to sensing the Holy Ghost. And he says, I don't believe in you. I don't want you. I don't believe in you. Screaming. Holds up his fist to God and said, God, you want to fight? Come on, I'll fight you. But he sat there in the restaurant. So tore up he couldn't even hardly talk. He said, but Brother Donnie, God didn't want to fight me. He wanted to love me. And he said, the love of God that come in that room. He said, I dropped that marijuana cigarette. And there I surrendered my heart to God. And never turned back one day since. Look how much different Jesus is from us. If we'd smell marijuana in somebody's house, we wouldn't even want to darken the door. They had alcohol on their breasts. You, you're going to hell. Jesus loves them so much and wants to save them. Did he get his hands dirty, as we'd say? Jesus walked in a room filled with marijuana smoke. Praise God. But the difference was, my friends, even though this brother wanted to fight with God. Now, I sat there and I heard that and I thought, I, 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 I find that hard to believe a person would do that. I'd be scared to death. Say, God, you want to fight? I'd be scared. He'd say, yeah. I'd say, I'm chicken. I backed out. I'm sorry. I messed up. But can you imagine a mortal man asking God to fight? But God conquered him with love. Praise God. This, my friends, is the way he will help us to learn how to surrender an unsurrendered heart by love. As a preacher, I understand I'm, I'm more dynamic than other guys. A lot of people criticize me because of the faces I make and, you know, the dynamic gestures and this and that and the other. I can only be the way God's called me. But that dynamic top part and that drama will never be what moves you to surrender your heart to God. There's only one thing that can do that. That's the love of God. And you surrendering to that love. You know, imagine you got a marijuana cigarette. And Jesus says, no. No. I am not going to let you go. I'm not giving up. You want to fight God? You want to fight? I ain't fighting you. I'm loving you. And he loved that brother. Right into his heart. Praise God. Sing something for us, Harry. Would you love him today? Oh, Jesus. 
Oh, Jesus. It's my desire. Yes, Lord. To live for Jesus. Hallelujah. It's my desire. And if it's not, pray he'll make it that. Like him.
has come back in her body and she's fighting many many symptoms but she's believing professing confessing every day that God's are here we have confidence in the prayers of you saints many of you have suffered this in your family or yourself we want you to just pray with us that God will be merciful to Sharon Heavenly Father I'm sure they're streaming the service right now Lord As a unified body, Lord God, we lift up Sharon's name before you today. Lord, you see this cancer that's come back in her body. Lord, the doctor's treating it with this and that. Lord, it's left her so weak and so sick. Lord, we look beyond chemo. We look beyond a clinic, a doctor. We look to our blessed Lord Jesus at that whipping post that day when they took that cat of nine tails and they beat your back until the strips of meat hung down on the ground. Isaiah saw you in a vision and he said that your visage was so marred that you didn't even look like a human being. Dear God, we ask you in the name of Jesus that you'd move for Sharon today, Lord. We know, Lord, inevitably all of us are going to go. We're going to leave this life, either that by the body change, but... We want to live. We want to serve you. If you're done with us, then we want to go home. But we don't want to go home until you're done. Lord, we pray that you'd just be with her. Help her, her husband, her children. It's been a tough trial for all of them, Lord. May you give them grace, strength, mercy. Help them, I pray, Father. We look to you as our healer in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise be to God. God bless you, saints. Love you in the Lord. Remember the meetings that Brother Tim's this week began on Wednesday night. We'll be having Sister Daisy's viewing here Tuesday night from 5 to 7. Then the funeral at 7 barrel on Wednesday. Uh, I'll be leaving, going down to the meeting there at Brother Tim's. I have to preach two services there. So certainly desire your prayers that God will just be with us. Say, Brother Donnie, are you down with the little foxes? We'll talk about it later. Because I don't know. If you could see where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, you would know the reason why I love Him so.
day. 